Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 3, and then we're going to jump over to Ezekiel. It's the scriptures that I mentioned last week will be our foundation. And we're finally going to jump into our angels and demons teaching. I did do a a kind of a kickoff to that three weeks ago. And the reason I kicked off with worship, warfare, and wisdom was that not everything is spiritual warfare. Sometimes we have to learn how to walk in the wisdom of God. Amen? And it's not always a demon. It's not always a time where we need to rebuke the devil. For instance, if you're having trouble making ends meet, you may want to look around and say, you know, if if you don't have a job, amen, you may have trouble making ends meet. Amen? That's not a demonic problem. That is a wisdom problem because wisdom says, go to the ants, you sluggard. Amen? All right? So not everything can be blamed on the devil. And I think we as spiritual Christians sometimes get off over into something we shouldn't. So I wanted to start with that because as I get into this over the next several weeks, this will carry us probably clear through the month of January, maybe even a little bit into February. Who can believe that it's almost 2023 already? That is amazing to me. But we're going to carry this into, and we're going to talk first about angels before we get into the demon side of the teaching that we're going to do. Angels are, and angels is used 290 times in scripture a lot. Um, angel is a Hebrew word, malak, messenger or ambassador. Uh, the Greek word is angelos, angelos, messenger, envoy, or one who is sent. So the word there translated angel just simply means one who was sent. So it is a messenger from God to do his will and his bidding here upon the earth. And does anybody else notice how there's currently a fascination with angels and demons? Does anybody else besides me notice that? Let me ask you a question tonight. Young people in the back, you guys listen to me for just a second. Who likes scary movies? Just raise your hand. You're not going to admit this in church. We got one. We got one here tonight that likes scary movies. How many, how many don't like scary movies? Let me ask you that. Don't like scary movies? Okay. Have you noticed that a lot of times the thing or the movie that we see or the TV show that scares us the most is the one that deals with demons or the demonic? I don't know about you, but that's the one that Here's why it scares me the most, because it's real, right? We as Christians know the Word of God, and as I teach on this, and many years ago, I mean, this has been almost probably 23 years ago, it's been that long But that long ago, um, one of the very first books I read as a new believer within the first probably year, year and a half of my salvation and and learning of God was a book called Angels by Billy Graham. And finding out much later that the story behind that was he felt impressed to teach on the topic of angels. The Lord just kind of impressed that upon him. Well, he went to his vast library, and Billy Graham's library is vast, of course, many books and many uh, scholarly literature, literature things. And he was shocked to find that there weren't very many books on this topic. And so he wrote the book Angels, and of course there's been many since then. But that was one of the first books I read. So I went down that road a long time ago. And to be honest, I have never, ever, ever taught on this subject. So I'm excited to learn along with you. And tonight, I'm going to use a word that if you're not really paying attention or you leave here, you may say, man, kind of a weird term to use, but it's not. Everybody say dimension. The reason I'm using the word dimension instead of spiritual realm is because science is trying to catch up with what the Bible has already told us and informed us of. Amen? So science catches up with the Bible, and we can begin to see scientifically some of the things that are proven scientific 
the, the Lord has already revealed in his word all the way back thousands of years ago. The reason I'd like to use that term tonight, so don't leave here scared by this term, because I'm going to do my best to explain it the best I can as I understand it spiritually and also in the natural. But the reason I use that term is I really think that a lot of times we begin to use Christianese, right? If you're witnessing to somebody and you talk about the spirit realm, there may be an understanding of that. There may be kind of a, yeah, I kind of understand and get what that means, but you need to explain it deeper. But if you talk about dimensions, science has already proven in some theories there's 24, in some there's 10. It was Albert Einstein that actually opened our eyes, or mathematically and scientifically, that there is another dimension, and it's called time or duration. And we didn't understand that until he discovered that element. So as I talk about dimension... The scriptures tell us very plainly in Colossians that everything seen and everything unseen was created and made through the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that scripture, but it's important to understand as I get into this, as I talk about dimensions and I talk about that level of it, I'm just talking about an unseen world that exists around us. That as we look at this, we will begin to understand in a greater way. And angels and demons operate in an unseen world that we cannot see with our our natural eyes, with our senses, or anything like that. So, why study this subject? I thought about this a lot. And I think the very first reason that we study this subject of angels and demons is it helps us understand the world around us. So... We wouldn't be in the mess that we're in currently, amen, without the fall of man. There would not be the mess that we currently are in without understanding Genesis 3 that we're going to look at here in just a minute. And also, Paul said in Ephesians, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, some people would read that and think, well, that's just hyperbole. That's just uh, kind of painting a picture of something that I don't really understand or know. And this is talking about an unseen realm that we cannot understand and we cannot access with our natural man. But we're going to talk about those subjects tonight. So a lot of people say, well, that's just in your mind. These things are not in our minds. We are up against unseen forces. And we also have unseen forces called angels that we're going to talk about. But tonight I want to just paint a picture and give you some teaching on the fact that there is another realm. There is another dimension. There is another another area that we term the spirit realm where Satan operates, where his demon operates where angels operate, where God and His Holy Spirit operate. So look at Genesis 3 if you're there. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from this tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now skip down to verse 13. And I'm going to use two places in Scripture that I want to point out tonight. And if you don't understand the context of the Scripture and you don't see the shift 
of where he, in, in, in what we just read, is of course the fall of man. It's the temptation of Eve. As we come down here to verse 13, God has shown up on the scene. Sin has taken place. God said, you will surely die. Now we understand that Adam and Eve lived for hundreds of years past this. So it wasn't a physical death. It was a spiritual death that they had happened to them, a part of the curse. So down here in verse 13, I want to point something out to you in relation to understanding that there is another dimension, there is an unseen realm that we cannot see with our physical eyes, but it is just as real as you and I sitting here today. And when you read, especially in the Old Testament, God will be speaking to this. And if you don't notice it, because it doesn't switch and say, now I'm speaking to what is going on behind what is happening because we know we know satan after the fall was depicted as a serpent later on as a dragon he's kind of attached to that animal that he used in order to tempt eve in order that the fall of man came 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 about so look at verse 13 14 so the lord god said to the serpent because you have done this so watch he's he's speaking to the serpent Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, according to to verse 14, he curses the serpent, but it was not the serpent that caused the fall of man. Is everybody tracking with me so far? But it was the being... Satan that was behind the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. And from then on, he's depicted as the serpent and sometimes as a dragon. But let me explain something interesting about verses 14 and 15. If you'll notice this, God is addressing the snake. And then if you're not paying attention, he's no longer addressing the snake. He's addressing the spirit that is operating behind the snake, which we know to be Satan. But you have to discern that from the context of the scripture that you're reading. Because he doesn't use Satan's name. In fact, you would still think that he's talking to the snake here in this this instance. And I just want to point out as we lay the foundation about the hidden dimension that we cannot access and see is that all throughout the Old Testament, this is fairly common, that if you're not paying attention, I'm going to pull out another one. If you're in Ezekiel, go to Ezekiel 28. This is going to be, we're going to have a lot of scripture tonight, amen? Is that okay? Get those fingers ready, y'all. This is Bible study tonight. In Ezekiel 28. But again, you're going to see just almost an imperceptible place. And most all scholars, not every scholar, most every scholar, puts a point where he's talking to a real physical king that we're going to read about called the king of Tyre. And that's not your Goodyear tires. That's an actual place over in the the Middle East. The king of Tyre, God addresses him, and then he goes on to address what is operating behind the king of Tyre. If If you're in Ezekiel 28, say amen, so I know you're there. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, says, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God and in the heart of the seas. Now, let me just give you a little background. Stop there and look this way. This is a long time ago that I studied this, and it was really for no purpose whatsoever until I started reading this scripture a few weeks ago. Tyre was actually two cities. 
And the two cities, the main city was a very large, influential city. But the place that he's referring to was another part of the city that was about three quarters of a mile from the main place of this place called Tyre. And we see here in the scripture that God is beginning to address that actual king and pronouncing judgment against him. One of the kings of Israel actually attacked the city of Tyre and he could not take it over because they came in and they were actually besieged the main city, which they were successful at. But when they went on to actually take over where the upper crust and the king and all the ruling elite lived, the ruling elite lived a half a mile away and there were two natural harbors around this city of Tyre where the, the, what they're describing, where his throne was, because there was a temple set up in the midst of this city. So you had two natural harbors, you had walls that could not be overthrown. You had a temple in the, in the court of the king there. And in the temple, this king of this city would actually sit there to be worshipped as the king of Tyre. Now, this city was also the single most influential city in this time period in this whole area of the world. They had wealth. They had everything you can imagine. The reason that they were so wealthy is the city of Tyre had a naval force that surrounded this area that the king lived in, but they also sailed out into the Mediterranean Sea, and they controlled all the the shipping routes of spices and silk and all the things that were being traded at the time. So when he's addressing him, he's addressing him not from that city, but actually the place where he set up. And they were naval people. They had a big navy. Nobody could overthrow them, but God is pronouncing judgment on this natural king. And he says, are you wiser than Daniel? Is no secret hidden from you? But your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself and amassed gold and silver in your treasuries. Now, one of the, re- one of the ways they amassed so much gold and silver was because they had a great navy and they were able to take over those shipping routes. But another thing that a lot of people don't know and understand about this place is that their main source of income was slavery. The reason I'm pointing these things out to you in a way that God is addressing what is really going on behind the scenes is that living in today's world, it's so important that we as believers become discerning, not that we're fighting against people. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with Satan's schemes, the principalities, the powers, spiritual wickedness and high places that is going on behind. And it's interesting to me, and this is a complete side note, but it's so interesting to me that the main source of income for this city and how they expanded their wealth was slavery. They had two days a week that they sold slaves. They would go out into all the surrounding regions, capture people, bring them back, and they would sell them at their slave market here in the city of Tyre. It actually, historians and you can go to any archaeological, you know, uh, thing, non-biblical, extra-biblical, not even Christian archaeologists, but all this has been proven about that king, what was going on during this time period that lines up with what the Bible is teaching and telling us. But they used to sell 10,000 slaves a day, two days a week. Now, if you do the math, that is over a million slaves a year that came out of this city. You can begin to understand why God's pronouncing judgment. Amen? (coughs) So let's continue looking. But your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself and amassed gold and silver in your treasuries. By your great skill in trading, you have increased your wealth. And because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Because you think you are wise, as wise as a God, 
I am going to bring foreigners against you, the most ruthless of nations. They will draw their sword against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die a violent death in the heart of the seas. Will you then say, I am a God in the presence of those who kill you? You will be but a mortal, not a God, in the hands of those who slay you. You will die the death of the uncircumcised at the hands of the foreigners. I have spoken, declares the Lord. Now, does anybody want to venture a guess of who actually conquered this city after God pronounced this judgment? I put my glasses on so I can see you. Nope. Nope. I thought you may know it. Anybody want to just guess? Nobody? Alexander the Great conquered Tyre. So we see God's pronouncement of judgment. Now, look down here in verse 11. Again, what I'm teaching you, this is all throughout the Old Testament, and I'm I'm going to give you some New Testament examples too. All throughout the Old Testament, when you're reading something in context, it doesn't switch and say, I am now speaking to what is behind this evil king. It's imperceptible. But what are we establishing here? We are establishing the reality of a spiritual dimension of of the Bible where Satan operates in and angels operate in. So look at verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, this is the next set of verses, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now y'all, was the king of Tyre in Eden, in the garden of God? No, he was not. What is happening here, there's a switch And he is now addressing Satan that is behind and set up in this place using a serpent in Genesis 3 as a puppet in order to access our dimension, okay? In order to access and have his will done here, the same thing is going on here. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper. Uh, I don't even know what that word says. Lapis lazulu, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. That is a classification of angels that we're going to talk about over these next few weeks. But to point out, was the king of Tyre an angelic being? No, he was not. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Now again, it's imperceptible, but he goes from addressing what is behind the king to these last few verses he's addressing back in the lament that goes forth and the prophecy that goes forth from the prophet Ezekiel. So in verse 1 through 10, he's addressing the king of Tyre. 
a real live human being. Then in verse 11 through 17, he, it's apparent that God is not addressing the king. He's addressing Satan. So here's my question as I studied this. Why not just address him by his real name? And here's the conclusion that I came to. Because God wants us to know that it's Satan working through the king of Tyre and using him to accomplish his will and plan. We see here that the king is being used by Satan behind the scenes. And here's the point. It's common in the Old Testament to be speaking to a person and then a few verses later addressing Satan who is behind. But you have to discern that in the context that the scriptures are in. Because it doesn't stop in the middle of those, in the middle of others, and switch and say, okay, now I'm speaking to Satan. I'm prophesying this against Satan. It looks like it's still in the same thing. The reason the Bible does that is so we would know who is really behind the evil plan. Okay? We talk about angels. We talk about demons as we go through this course, as we go through this study. It's important to understand these simple things because we first have to establish the spiritual realm and what is behind things. In Genesis 3, Satan uses the snake to accomplish his plan, right? In this instance, Satan has already been using the king of Tyre set up behind him, using him to further his purposes in the earth. Another place is in Matthew 16, verse 23. Matthew 16, verse 23 is an amazing verse, but it's also a sobering verse because we see that Peter has the greatest revelation that has ever been given, and that's when he has a revelation, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, when you go just a few more verses down, he Jesus begins to explain he's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to ra- be raised again. He's talking about paying for our sins, of course. In just a few verses, Verses down, Peter pulls him to the side, and the Bible literally says, began to rebuke Jesus. Now, y'all, come on. Imagine that. You're rebuking the Lord. Pull him aside, and, and what did Jesus do? He said, get thee behind me. Who? Peter? Satan. Because it's Satan that is the one operating and stirring Peter up to try to... In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you don't understand what's really going on around you. And Satan is speaking through you right now. And I'm going to, to, uh, I'm going to recognize it, understand it, rebuke it, and walk the other way. Because Jesus understood, I'm not going to follow Satan's plan for this. I'm going to follow God's plan. Amen? But we see this all throughout the Bible. And the point is, here's the point. He still operates in the exact same way today. He still operates in the same way today. There is no difference in his operation of what he's trying to do. Take temptation, for instance. Has anybody ever noticed that you're not tempted with something that's not tempting to you, right? The Bible's clear that it says when you're tempted, let no one think that he's tempted by God. Amen? We are tempted by our own flesh, our own lust, our own desires. So if you're somebody that hates donuts, I can't imagine such a person existing. But if you're somebody that hates donuts, Satan is not going to put a dozen donuts out in front of you because he knows it's not going to work. In understanding the dimension that we're talking about tonight, and I'm using that term because that's exactly what it is. There is a higher dimension than what we can see, feel, taste, and touch. But church, I came to help you understand, it's just as real as the one you're sitting in right now. Probably even more so. And it's where demonic activity is. 
It is where angelic activity is. It's where the, the, the plans and the purposes of God come forth. So understanding this helps us what? It helps us understand the world around us and the role that Satan, angels, and demons play in the world. Secondly, there's an invisible world around us, and most people are not even remotely aware of that. Most people are not aware. Why? Because it's a different dimension. And we can't see it, but that doesn't make it any less real. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. I told you I got a lot of scripture for you. We want to lay this foundation right because the foundation, if you don't begin to understand and have the Holy Spirit open up your heart and mind to the fact that there is a whole other dimension operating around you where the angelic and the demonic resides. Look, if God just right now just peeled this back and we could see into that, it would blow you away. Amen? It really would. It really would. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse, start down here in verse 18. And we're going to speed through this for the sake of time. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. I told you 18, it's verse 8. 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place. He's getting information from another place. Because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel... I'm, par- I'm giving you my version now. He's getting information from another dimension. And he tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Are you tracking with me? Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The r- report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Man, that'll make you shout right there. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. What is he seeing? He is seeing angelic beings that are arrayed in another dimension we refer to as the spirit realm, a higher dimension. We live in a three-dimensional world, everybody. You get that? You may not understand that. Let me teach you for a second. You live in a three-dimensional world. We have length and we have width and we have height, the depth of something. Anybody ever gone to see a 3D movie? Anybody? Come on, interact with me now. There's only a handful of you in here. Yeah, 3D movie. If you go to see a, th- if you go to a regular movie, what are you watching it in? You're watching it in two dimensions because it's flat, right? Now, what you can do is if you're in a 3D movie, you have to put on the special glasses, right? The 3D glasses. And as you're looking at the screen, everything changes because the screen is there and there are things coming out. Say, for instance, somebody on the movie screen throws a Frisbee. Has anybody gone to your first 3D movie and you do this? I have. The first time I went to see a 3D movie, I'm like, whoa. 
What is being described here is an ability that God gave Elijah to give to his servant in that moment to open his eyes and to see a dimension that was already around him that he could not see and he could not interact with. Which means when you put the glasses on, there's depth. When you put the 3D glasses on in a movie theater, there is depth there. And when, But here's the catch. To see the 3D movie, you have to wear the glasses. Otherwise, it's just 2D. And that's what God did in that passage of Scripture for the servant of Elijah. He put on the glasses. He was able to see something that was around him, but he wasn't aware of it. Now, you don't have to turn there because we've got many more Scriptures. Colossians 1 verse 6 says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. That's dualism. Visible and invisible dualism, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, some people take that passage of scripture out of context and misunderstand it and say, if God did all that, then somehow he must have created evil and he must have created mosquitoes and he must have created sickness and he must have created the Florida Gators. We know he did not do any of those things. Because God can't do those things. What he is saying, now point, I want to point something out right there at the beginning of the verse. Visible, and everybody say invisible. Immediately after he says that the invisible has been created by and for God through Jesus Christ, he is saying there are thrones, powers, rulers, and authority. What is he describing there? He is describing a higher dimension that we cannot see with our natural eyes because we are three-dimensional beings and it takes the Word of God, it takes the Spirit of God, it takes the knowledge of God in order to open up and begin to see. Because if it were to open up, I want, I want you to kind of get a picture that what we talk about over these next few weeks, especially with the establishment of a spiritual realm, a dimension, is the fact that we live in a very enclosed place. This is a very tight, enclosed place that we live in now in our, in our dimension, with three-dimensional, very, very close. We think of where God resides and where all this activity is going on, we think of it as very small in our world, very big. It's actually quite the opposite. It says here that there are thrones, powers, the kingdoms, dominions in the unseen world that you cannot see. There's a whole other world out there. And the reason we don't see it is that it's spiritual and it exists in a spiritual dimension that is higher than we are. So let me explain a little bit more about dimensions. And this is important. We live in a three-dimensional world. Amen? We, again, we have height, width, and depth. But most scientists, and when they found out through Einstein, they said, and again, this is where science catches up. This is where science catches up with the Bible. Is, is if you read your Bible, you begin to understand. For instance, they said, you know, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, well, space is just this big vacuum, Right? It's just a big vacuum. There's really nothing there. There's nothing that can be shaken. So when the Bible says that the heavens can be shaken, scientists would have looked at that and said, well, it can. It's a vacuum. There's nothing that can be shaken about it. Well, our understanding of science begins to catch up with what the Word of God has already taught. And it actually has proven that the heavens can be rent and torn. The Bible says that the heavens will be rolled back. Amen? When you read that, you would say, well, that's not possible scientifically. They have proven that that is exactly what's possible. The heavens can be rent. The heavens can be shaken because it is a place in a space and time. So 
let me explain this to you a little bit more. It explains the cause and effect that a lot of times we think the, 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 the cause is here in our dimension on earth and we affect that. I came to tell you tonight, it's the spiritual and then the natural. Amen? It is what is going on there begins to manifest itself in the natural. Now, for the sake of my illustration tonight, I did some artwork for y'all. Y'all ready? You guys ready? All right, here we go. You feast your eyes on that right there. You guys in the back may not be able to see. I even put a little hat on this one here. I put a little, this is probably Leah. I've made her with long hair. Very beautiful. You guys like that? You like that? When it comes to dimensions, listen to me real close. When it comes to dimension, let's pretend that Jason and Leah live in a two-dimensional world. We'll, we'll call them flatlanders. And the reason I call them flatlanders is because this is flat, right? It's flat. Everybody agree that this is flat? So these are flatlanders. They no longer live in a three-dimensional world because we have depth. They're width and height right here. And the reason this is important to understand by way of just understanding this spiritual analogy of a higher dimension that affects through the angelic, through the demonic, through messengers that God sends, through plans and assignments of the enemy that we're told about in the Bible. So here's the thing. If I came along as a three-dimensional being, then what I do would have a different effect on a two-dimensional being in atmosphere and place than what a three-dimensional. So if I come along as a three-dimensional being, And I am going, see, my point is, when it comes to angels, they are constantly moving and working, and people have such bad theology of the angelic that you'll see people get up at funerals and, well, grandma got her wings, and now she's sitting on a cloud and she's playing a harp. That's bad theology. You as a human being, and hopefully you're here tonight, you've been born again, you've been, you've been born again and you are a new creation in Christ, you are not going to sprout wings when you step onto the other side. Is everybody understanding me? I hate to destroy something that you were told at one time. You're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp, right? That theology actually came uh, to to pass by pastors, well-meaning, but bad theology preached from pulpits for a lot of years because there were a lot of plagues going on during the time that that kind of emerged. And they wanted to make everybody there feel better about have, losing maybe 10 to 12 family members to the Black Plague. Okay, And it made people feel better. But it, it created a theology that is folk theology that has stuck with us all of these years. And, it, and it's something that needs to be corrected in the church because it's not biblical. How many want to stick to the Bible? Amen? Absolutely. So these are the flatlanders. And I'm a three-dimensional being. And the reason this is important in Scripture, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about right here in Scripture, okay? I'm a three-dimensional being. So when I have interaction with a two dimensions and I'm three dimensional being, if I were to take my hand and begin to poke it through their dimension, there will be an effect from mine into theirs, but they do not see me, but there will be something left behind of what I just did coming through another dimension. Are you guys following me? Let's look at this scripture right here 
in Daniel chapter 5, verse 2. Angels and demons exist outside of our three-dimensional world. Are you following me? In a higher dimension than ours, which means a higher dimension, another place we cannot see them. But we can see their interactions in the earth. I'm actually going to dig into that more next week, and it's going to be good. Let me give you a biblical example. Daniel 5, verse 2. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Bad idea. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver or bronze, iron, wood, and stone, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote, his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak, and his knees were knocking. And probably some other things happened that aren't in the Bible, I would imagine, because that's what would happen to me if I experienced this. What is being described here is God, through his messenger, his created order of angels, is interacting from a higher dimension because we are three-dimensional beings and it didn't mean that it wasn't standing there. In other words, it wasn't a disembodied hand that just came out. There was an angel. Here's my, here's my opinion in theory and I want to give it at that. I, I, when I read this, I thought, okay, why wouldn't he just appear? Well, remember, they're being surrounded by another country They are under siege, and every time that an angel appeared in the Bible, they were big, they were strong, and they were warrior-looking. Amen? That's what they look like. They look like mighty warriors. You look at Joshua, and he's like, whoa, are you on our side or their side? I love his answer, neither. I'm I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. You know, In other words, you pick my side, I don't pick yours. But what we see here is this wasn't a disembodied hand. This was another... The spiritual realm, another higher dimension that is just as real as what you're sitting in here today. And we see because any time that this happens in, in the scriptures, there's always an effect on our world. And listen to me, this goes with the angelic and we're going to talk about in depth, this goes with the demonic. Amen? There's an effect that happens and you will see the remnant of it, but you're not seeing the whole picture that shows up. So a hand comes out. And it begins to write on the wall. And I believe the reason that we don't get a whole description of the angels is because if he'd have shown up in, in his angelic form, they would have been just as scared, but probably maybe, you know, all oh, the, the enemies here, they showed up in the middle of this room. Now turn to, to the book of John, chapter 20. Don't want to just show you this in the Old Testament. Again, the reality of the spiritual realm. The reality of a higher dimension that interacts through angels and it interacts through demons, the demonic, and it affects this, the natural that we live in every single day. It, before, while you're turning there, take for instance where it says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Demonic activity that Jesus had to show up and deal with And it wasn't in the natural. He was dealing with the spirit that was operating behind what was going on in the natural. 
You know, verse, in John 20, look at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Okay, stop there. Door shut. Everything's locked. They're afraid of the Jews coming to try to pull them out of there, arrest them, kill them, put them in jail, all the things that were going on at this time. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. And look what happens. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then, poof, he's gone. Verse 26 of the same chapter. Look down just a couple verses. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Now, look back this way. How did he do this? How did he show up in the middle of a locked room on more than one occasion? It's because he had a glorified body. Amen? And he was able to operate in a way that could operate in our three-dimensional realm and in the realm that God operates in, the four, in another dimension, a higher dimension than we are. Listen to me, I've studied this. Christian physicists say it's because of his resurrected body, he is able to travel between different dimensions. In other words, after Jesus rises again from the dead, he is no longer restricted to our three-dimensional world. Are you following me? He has a resurrected body. Now let me just lay a little theology out there for you in reference to the unseen realm and how this should apply to us in a very practical way. Because a lot of people think, well, when I die, what happens? What happens after I pass away? What, what happens when, when Jesus returns and triumphantly and we get our resurrected body? When the rapture occurs, okay, one more scripture and I'm going to leave you alone with this. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. So again, we see in the Old Testament... Where God is addressing a natural person, but really addressing Satan that is operating behind them. And then we see in scripture here, where Jesus, after he is resurrected, is able to appear in the midst of them, locked doors, and he appears. And the interesting thing, and this is a side note, but the interesting thing is he wanted to make sure that even Thomas came up and said, Thomas, you're a doubter, come. feel." He wanted them to understand and make sure that this was a real physical body, right? When Adam and Eve fell and God said, surely you will die, did they die right there on the spot? Okay, everybody agrees. They lived for hundreds of years. As a matter of fact, we need to understand that the people understood that they literally lived in the dimension where, listen to me, this is amazing. But this is everything that's going to be restored to us. That's the beauty and the incredible part of what we're talking about tonight. They did not die physically. Where did they die? They died spiritually, right? There's spiritual death. Now we understand when we repent and we put our faith in Christ, there is a miracle that happens according to the Bible called you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You, the, the thing that was dead that could not interact with God and with anything spiritual has now been made alive. 
Now, here's the question that I had as I began to ponder all these things in reference to what is going on around us all the time. In other words, it's not some kind of small confined area where the enemy's operating and he's coming to try to tempt you and he's trying to do this and he's trying to do that. This is a vast world of thrones, uh, dominions. I mean, it's amazing if we could just roll back the curtain and see into it. But I asked the question, okay, I'm born again. That means I'm in right relationship with God. Why can't I then at that point begin to see into that other dimension, into the spiritual realm? Why can't I do that? Well, there's one simple answer. You have a fallen body. Is everybody tracking with me? You still have a simple... Listen, the, the, the last enemies to be defeated are death and the grave, right? We are going to have resurrected bodies. Look at, look at 1 John 3 verse 2. Here's John bringing this truth out to us of our blessed hope, of our future resurrection. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You cannot, on this side of things, see Jesus as He is. Is everybody tracking with me? You can't. Listen, the most important part of that verse is we shall see Him as He is. So if we are going to see Him as He is, it means at that point we are going to see everything for what it is. We are going to be able to see what is really going on all around us. In other words, you can't see Jesus right now, but when He does come back, we shall be like Him. Like Him how? You will have a glorified body. For we shall see Him as He is. You know, nobody really understood that until more recent scientific discoveries. Can I encourage you as the people of God, do not be afraid of science. Science is not your enemy. Amen? It is not your enemy. Science is catching up to what God has already said for thousands of years. If you want to prove science, all you have to do is read your Bible. Because it is scientifically correct all the way through. Amen? We don't see Him as He is now. Why do we not see Him as we are now? As now? Because you're confined to three dimensions, right? And He is in a higher dimension. We will be like Him and we will see Him like He is, which means we will then be able to see what is an unseen world to us. Again, when Adam and Eve walked in the garden, they walked with God in the cool of the day. They conversed with Him. They conversations. It was a beautiful place. And they interacted with Him. And then, of course, we know they sinned. And God said you would die. Well, he did. they didn't die for hundreds of years. Again, we see this here in Scripture. So they were restricted to this three-dimensional world that we are still restricted to. And again, you say, well, we're born again. Well, listen, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why is this important? And I want to bring this down to a very practical level. Why is this important theologically as we study this over the next five, six, seven weeks? Why is this important theologically to understand? Because it ties in to the end times. It ties in into the, the, the hope that we have of resurrection. Resurrection is the greatest hope that has ever been given to humankind. Why, why is that so important? Because those who die in Christ, you're going to see them again. You're going to be reunited with them. You're going to be with them in this place called heaven. And 
I've taught on this before when I taught, when I taught on Revelation here last year. There's a thousand year reign of Christ, right? There will be people that survive the tribulation. We as his saints are brought back with him. And what are we given? We are given a glorified body that not only interacts. And I made a side note. I didn't completely finish it earlier. There was a heresy going on in the first and second century called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was, that's one of the reasons you, you know, you'll read 1 John and 2 John. It was really to combat this, this heresy that was going around. And the heresy that was going around was that anything physical was bad. Food and joy and enjoying you know, beautiful sunset and all those kind of things. Anything physical was inherently bad. So they came up with a theology that said, well, when Jesus rose again, it was resurrection of the spirit. That's Gnosticism. Amen. And you have to be careful and look for that in teachings and look for that in sermons that are preached. Because when people get up there and say, ah, everything here, if everything's so bad here, why is Christ coming back to rule it for a thousand years? Amen. We will have glorified bodies. What does that mean? It simply means that you will be able to interact and go between what you see here and what is right on the other side. Because that's what he said. When we see him, we will be like him. What did Jesus do? Jesus appeared in the midst of the room. Amen. He appeared and he talked to them. He said, hey, come and I want you to make sure you understand that I am a real physical. I've been given through resurrection power by the Holy Spirit. God resurrected and he now has a glorified body. It's important to understand because this is a, the blessed hope of the church. Resurrection. Life. Being brought back up. And as we understand this, we understand that during that thousand year reign of Christ, there will still be people that survive the tribulation. Jesus will come and set up his kingdom. And for a full thousand years, listen to me, for a full thousand years, we will be ruling and reigning with him, operating in two of the dimensions. We'll be operating in the higher dimension that God operates in and we'll be operating still in the three-dimensional world that we operate in now. The thing that will be different is we will be able to seamlessly move between the two. Am I blowing your mind? Is everybody okay? You will be able to seamlessly move between those two places and dimensions. You say, well, Pastor, show me that in Scripture. In Scripture, it says that at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, what actually comes down from heaven? The new Jerusalem never touches earth. It's a corridor of God's glory between the two of them. So in other words, we will be operating in the natural world as ambassadors and the redeemed of Christ for a thousand-year reign. God has a plan for us. Everybody's like, you go sit on a cloud and you strum a harp and you sing some songs on a cloud. No! That is not Bible. That is not what the Bible teaches. And that is not our hope of the future. You will have tasks and jobs, but the work won't be a part of it. It will be something. If he, when he said to, to in the parable, he said, if you're faithful over the little, you'll be made ruler over many. That is called being the place you're in now in life. You are in training for reigning with him. And I fully believe, and again, this is my opinion from Scripture, but I fully believe you will be able to access both of those places. So if you're given a task, you'll be able to complete it. And where are you going to go back to in order to rest? You won't need to rest. The people still alive on the earth will, because if you don't know this, you need to. You need between six and eight hours of sleep every night just to get all the toxins out of your brain, right? 
They will need to sleep. You won't need to, but you will be able to step back into this other place. It's exactly what Jesus did in this instance. Exactly what he did. It says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is a new heaven and a new earth because it's no longer three-dimensional. It's the higher dimension, God's heaven, married with the three-dimensional world that we now live in. The more we learn about science, the more that we understand about the unseen. Again, go back to what I was talking about before. They thought space was just a huge vacuum, but there's, a, there's proof that it can be shaken. It can be the understanding that we have is so far much beyond. So as we've learned tonight, you have to establish the reality through Scripture of how the realm that we can't see affects the realm that we can because it's a whole other dimension. Again, when Einstein came up with his theory of relativity and began to do string theory, he began to understand that, okay, there's another dimension. Well, they didn't stop there. Scientists have continued. In quantum string theory, I think there's maybe 10, and they've gotten all the way up to, I think, 24. But those aren't things that aren't anything other than just fun to study. The point I want to make tonight is that realm, that dimension realm, spiritual realm, it has an effect on the natural, but you're not always going to see it. You're not always going to know and understand what is operating even behind power structures and things that you see around us. That's why we have to be understanding. We have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And we need to have a good biblical understanding of the angelic, how God sends his messengers, how God sends his helpers. Uh, My grandfather told me a story, and I'll end with this tonight. He told me a story, and again, I was a very young Christian. My grandfather's a very devout man of God, a pastor for 44, 5, 43 years, something like that. And he told me this story just as if, I mean, there was no doubt in his mind. And I was sitting at the table listening, kind of skeptical. He's doing a Bible study. And he just told me, he said, yeah, he said, you know, I had a really close call today. He was getting at that age where he really shouldn't have been driving. I think shortly thereafter we did ask him to hand over the keys But he was turning, and he just didn't make it up into the place where he was turning fast enough. And and he told me, he told me and my brothers that were sitting around the table, he said, guys, I really thought that was the end. I didn't even think I'd be here this evening to to do our Bible study together. And he said, he he didn't see it, but he said, his angel, and we're going to talk about that, you have a guardian angel. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. You have one. This is how I got on this subject. I started explaining to my daughter who's now a believer and very on fire for God. I started to explain to her about the unseen spiritual realm, and I said, well, you have an angel, huh? So, well, you're an heir of salvation now. You've put your faith in Christ, and you're born again, and you, you have it. He began to explain that to me. He said, well, my angel, he said, I literally felt the back of the car lift up enough to get me out of the road where I didn't get hit by an oncoming car. And I thought, no, no. Listen, I've lived 25 years from the Lord, and I know God has done some miraculous, angelic things in my life that are unexplainable. But when you understand the Bible and understand just like in the scripture we read with the hand coming out and beginning to write on the wall, there are angels right now in this room. There are angels right now. What do they do? It says they love to come and look in on. They love to come and and see this glorious gospel being preached. They're, They're... When one sinner repents, all the angels of heaven begin to shout and begin to praise and begin to to glorify and begin to... In other words, they may be more excited about your salvation than you are tonight. What a shame, amen? But it's real, 
And I describe it as dimensions because I think the language we, we use is important. Spiritual realm that exists that's higher than ours, that is right there all the time. We think, again, quit thinking of, of, of this place as something afar off. It's not far off. It is right here parallel beside us. Is everybody following me? The reason that's important to establish as we move forward, we begin to talk about demons and how they affect and how they tempt and how they can oppress people, how they can possess people, how they can influence. We also sometimes lift all that up far above what should be lifted up, and that's God, His will, His messengers, and those who help us, who are called angels, who are right here surrounding us right now. All you have to do is put on the glasses, y'all. You just got to put on the Word of God and do it in truth and do it in reason. But you have to do that. And God will open up your eyes sometimes to see what's really going on. And I just want to tell you, those who are for us are far outweigh and outnumber those who are against us. Amen? We serve a victorious God. We serve a God. And as we dig into this, it's, it's important to understand there are those times in scriptures that you'll notice that God is addressing Satan behind what is operating. And then there are those times where angels are released and allowed to enter into and have an effect on our three-dimensional world that we live in right now. Amen? Stand up. It's going to be a good study. Amen? Here's my last point. Just because you can't see this other world doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Amen? And angels and demons play a huge part in what goes on in this world, far greater than probably what I even understand at the beginning of this study. Father, tonight, as we've learned of your word, Father, I know it's a lot to take in, but God, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Because even though, Father, these things are, are, are interesting, God, our interest is in you first and foremost, not anything else but you. But we also know that you have created the natural order and you have created the spiritual order, Jesus. All things were created for you and by you. All things, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, it's all under your throne. So, Lord, as we learn of this, keep us on track, keep us focused on you, but also give us wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of what goes on around us that is not seen, God, because we know that even though it's not seen, it doesn't mean it's not real. So, Father, I pray that those angels that you've sent on assignment would be with us as we go through the rest of this night. Protect and watch over us. And, Father, we ask that you, uh, that you go with us as we go from here, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Go in the name of the Lord, guys. Be blessed.